0: I should, I'm all good, I'm all good, never knew I could, I'm all
1: good, I'm all good. Phoenix Tales is a community celebrating everyday women overcoming extraordinary challenges in their lives, discovering the fire within, and like the phoenix enduring the ashes to rise again. Each of you has a phoenix tale or a phoenix moment. As we create this community of women with grace and grit, share your own Phoenix tale or your own Phoenix moment on our website. We're honored to hear another story to welcome another Phoenix. Today's guest, Ginger McKnight-Chavers, is a former attorney and now writer. Her novel, In the Heart of Texas, was published in 2016. She joins us today to recount the challenges she faced, challenges that reshaped the course of her life, Please welcome Ginger McKnight Shavers to Phoenix Tales.
0: So,
1: you know, starting with the very first question that I ask all guests, um, was there a moment in your life where you faced challenges that might have perhaps redirected or reshaped the course of where you are today?
0: I was a practicing lawyer for a long time and had always loved writing, but had never really um, seriously considered it as a career. But uh, the perfect storm of having a young child at home, having an elderly parent who was ill back home in Texas while living in New York, having uh, my husband face uh, a life-threatening illness. Uh, My husband was diagnosed with cancer, he works in finance and the market crashed and many of his colleagues were being left, uh, laid off. So all of those things together combined, um, to really stop me from focusing on very much other than taking my daughter to school, going to Sloan Kettering, taking care of in-laws, taking care of my parents. And the one thing that I, and I, I, um to stop working full time um just prior to that. And one thing that I did for myself throughout that was that once a week I took a writing course at Sarah Lawrence's Writing Institute just to give me something else to focus on. It was convenient and I had a bunch of notes and random scribbles and it was the the nice little hour and a half or so that I did for myself every week. And those of scribbles became scenes, which became chapters, which eventually became a really rough draft of a manuscript. And uh, two of my instructors there recommended me for a writing fellowship that ended up being really the turning point. I won the, the writing fellowship for second career writers. And that really began the turning point where I stopped seeing myself as an attorney who just liked to write in my spare time to taking writing seriously. And it, it transformed my life. I mean, I've, I, I'm, I'm working in a complete new direction now and my life has taken, uh, I think it's a, a very good turn, at least professionally.
1: So when you talk about that moment and, you know, that perfect storm of having to take care of your um, elderly mother, and your mother-in-law and having a husband face a life-threatening illness and raising a small child. And I'm assuming you were working at the same time. What was it in your own personal history or in your own personality that kept you getting up and like moving forward? Because I think for any one of us, like any one of those things, would have probably stopped us in our tracks, right? Yes. I am personally dealing with aged parents right now. And there are days where I'm, and I, I, I'm I'll be very frank, it is incredibly painful and maddening at the same time. Yes. So can you go back to, I mean, w- were you able to identify what it was that just kept you moving forward?
0: I'm the kind of person that thinks about things and analyzes them before I react for, be- for better and for worse. Cause I'm also someone who can let someone's something simmer until it just boils over. And then, then I will snap. And it's scary because people don't see me snap that often. And, but uh, I, I do have sort of the low boil kind of temperament. Um, and that benefited me because in times of immediate stress, I just drill down and and just start my. my I, I really shut out the emotional part, and I just get into this. Okay, what do I need to do? I need to do this first, and I need to do that next. And I make lists, and I shut out that emotional part, and that does help you at least function and keep the train moving forward when uh, pushing the train forward when uh, the wheels aren't on the locomotive aren't turning. Because my face <laughs> yes. is broken down. Right. I think also my training as a lawyer where I worked in the just some god awful law firm experiences where I really learned a lot, but mm-hmm. um and it helped me toughen me and I think focus me a lot and helped me become organized. But you're just always waiting for that from that phone call from that partner or that client who's gonna yell at you. <laughs> Because they did something yesterday. So you're all, I was, I got into the habit of always thinking, um, you know, a mile down the road and what what potholes are going to arise and how can I take care of this? And oh, I haven't worked on this yet, but let me call this guy and just give him an update so that maybe he'll leave me alone a little bit so I can finish this other task. And I just became this sort of serial kind of multitasker, tunnel vision kind of machine in the, And that's that's
1: probably what got me through it. Um, And then so I know that so just to give our listeners just a brief recount of your own personal history. So you grew up in Texas because the novel was um, set in Texas and you made reference to the fact that you're flying back to Texas from New York to take care of your mother when she was ill. Um, so, you went from Texas to Georgetown mm-hmm. and then from Georgetown to Harvard Law. Yes. And most people would find that trajectory just remarkable and just in and of itself, just a huge accomplishment. And having said all of that, as you were working in your career, it, did you have moments as a woman of color where you faced? perhaps your own insecurities about about yourself in a way that yes. maybe, you know, your white peers would never experience, even if they had the same exact credentials as you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would
0: say absolutely um, at various steps in the way. Luckily, the, luck, the, the one stroke of luck is that because I was such a shy, reserved kid and my parents were both educators, they did send me to an all girls private school, K through 12, which I was in a distinct minority there, but it was actually a pretty supportive environment overall, I would say, at least in terms of the administration and the faculty. We knew a lot of the other girls who were there. The black girls who were there were both campus leaders as well as jocks, as well as a couple of cheerleaders. I mean, every the role that you would have now, was this the least educationally at Georgetown? I didn't feel like an imposter.
1: Can we go back to that word imposter? I just picked up on it and it's yeah. such an interesting word that you used. Um, and I think you called it imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. And do you think so? As a writer, you know, I think most of us feel like an imposter <laughs> yeah. most days, uh, even if. You know the work is going well, and that's relative, right? That can change hour by hour if you're working actively. So, can you go back to the use of that word and why you used it? Because I'm just really curious to see what you meant by that. I mean, I kind of know what you meant, but I just want to see if you can kind of flesh it out for my, for the audience.
0: Sure, I in at least in my case, I mean, I I know that. Um, I think for, particularly for Black Americans, no matter how well-prepared or, or highly we regard ourselves, you just still feel like you're not necessarily at home in a lot of settings. And, and not because you... I'll rephrase that a little bit. Not that you're not at home, but it's almost as if you're at, in your in-law's house. That's a great there. one. You belong there, but yeah, there's just a little something going on underneath the surface. And I think for me, like I felt I was in a supportive environment in the school that I went to, about as best as I could expect. I think because um, my parents were convinced if I went to public school that I would get beat up every day.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and so, the um, fear of all parents, right? Fear of All parents. <laughs> uh
0: but i was certainly i was one of the smart kids i was a nerd it really didn't matter so much when we were like in elementary school and when we were then it was junior high school it's now it's middle school both because of my personality and because of my little bit of an outsider status so no you know i was never bullied or anything like that um, isn't I was always observing everything. I knew what the cool kids were. I knew where they lived. I knew why they were cool. I know why these other people weren't treated as if they were cool. I knew what everyone listened to. You, you you start observing and absorbing everything, and I know that that because you're watching the world in order to navigate it because you feel like you're not you're not one of those people that just waltzes down the red carpet. Mm. You're kind of just like, well, i got to get to the door, but I'm not allowed to walk on the carpet. So how am I going to navigate through this crowd? And you start to go through life that way. And then add on another layer when you are looking out, you're always looking out for like racism. (laughs) Right. Because yeah, you've seen it, you've experienced it, you know your parents or grandparents experienced it. Mm-hmm. and um, you're always on the lookout for a situation that could be harmful or dangerous. It's like an extra sort of spidey sense, like, okay, I'm, I'm looking out for roadblocks. Whereas other people, I, it just always seemed like um, the less other kind of things that you attach to, who you, that are attached to your identity, regardless of how you see yourself internally, may enable you to at least walk partially on the carpet or all the way down the red carpet. And um, it's hats off to people who are actually able to walk down the red carpet their whole life and still have some radar where they realize that they, they may be walking through life um, in a different way than others and or are, are know that other people are having different experiences and um, but I think that's part of it yeah you know, that you're always just like and, and it doesn't really have to do with your self-esteem necessarily though I think there are for some people where imposter syndrome feels like I don't deserve to be here mm. I would say for me and a lot of other people I know and probably a lot of like people of color, a lot of it, some may feel like, you know, do I really deserve to be here? But for others, it's yeah, but am I re- am I at the in-laws house or am I or in my family home? Mm. You know. Uh, just just that just just undercurrent of of you're never sure when someone's gonna push you
1: out the door. So, I I mean, I know what it feels like to be in my in-laws house and I love my (laughs) in-laws, but you do kind of work hard or harder to make yourself either presentable or helpful. And do you think that having felt this sense of imposter syndrome, for for lack of a better word, um, also really helped you in that sort of tsunami moment of your life where you were facing not just one crisis, but a multitude of crisis um, crises on all these different fronts.
0: Sure, um, because I think that there is a certain layer of grit internally that you can you develop. It, 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 um, and and I, I think I, I'm grounded. I'm not um, in a way that my experience may have
1: forced me to be so do you cuz i really um you know in a way your your background is one that you know i know other people would look at and, and say you know somewhat privileged yeah. um whether it's cultural privilege or um obviously educational privilege um and so knowing that Was it still, do you think, something internally within you or more a product of your upbringing that enables you to move forward even when it's super challenging? Because, you know, to get a writing fellowship is one thing, but to finish a manuscript and then to try to get it published is a whole different ballgame. Sure. (laughs) Sure.
0: Um well I think at every step of the way, I mean, from beginning of life even to today, um, I'm fully aware uh that I'm not an island. And even even though we're all on a on a scale of, you know, how many ex how much extra I hate to use the word like privileges, but right. let's, let's just use it because it's the appropriate term, even though it's become loaded, you have everyone's going to face obstacles and it is a blessing to have really supportive and grounded parents and grandparents that were very active in your life. And it's very, it's a, it is very, you have very good fortune when you grow up in a house with books and with parents who are educated, even though they're not well off, Mm -hmm. but who are really invested to exposing you to things and to making sure that you have more opportunities than they have. Um, that's, a, that's really a position of great fortune where um, you know, I wasn't alone and I was really supported. And there are people who probably had a lot more material sort of advantages, but who lacked a lot of the advantages that I had. So I'm completely aware of that. And then certainly when I went into that, to, to be able... To accept a fellowship um, and walk away from a job that we, at that point in my life, when I when all these crisis, crises were happening, we were in a much more stable and secure position financially to, to weather that um, than a lot of other Americans. So that's certainly very, very fortunate. Now, with the publishing process, now, certainly, like, the publishing industry is going through what the music industry went through a while ago, Mm -hmm. even though I still don't think they're fully, they're fully out of denial that that's what they're going through. But, um, so, whereas in the film industry and the music industry, there are many, many different tiers of options where, like, for indie films and indie music uh, production, there's really sort of the big five and there are smaller presses and everything, but you, you, they're harder to find. Um, They're not as well
1: known.
0: um, Or financed because my book was published
1: from a small publishing house. Yeah.
0: And so the fact that I did have the time to do a lot of scouting, I did, I had set aside some resources for to do a lot of my own, to, to to invest in my own book promotion and everything. Um but I, you know, after years of just trying to get an agent and um and then also I, I would say that it, you know, not everybody got what I was trying to, what I was writing, because it didn't fit neatly in 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 a box. I I mean, I think it's pretty you could neatly say that it's sort of upmarket women's fiction or whatever the category is, but, um, I think they call it like chiclet. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, um, it still was a little, you know, there, there were things about it. that were a little different probably because the protagonist was a woman of color and there's a lot of stuff about, you know, her family and their experience and race and, and all that, that, um, I that that's dealt with maybe a little more frankly and not in a as um i know the word hopefully not in um a more generic kind of um formulaic way mm-hmm. um but uh and then also like but and probably even more importantly um you know people not knowing how to sell it. And whereas I know exactly how to sell, it. I mean, black women are the biggest demographic of readers in America. Which mm. you know, if I know that fact, I know they they've had that data. Um, it's only been written in just sort of generic newspapers. <laughs> and I know these people. I belong to a lot of these organizations, and there I know everyone I know is in a book club. I can't seem to sustain a book club, but everyone else I know is in a book club and they do, they read a lot of books and all of the black organizations have conventions every year or every other year. And they, you can sell books there. And there are just so many vehicles, um, to market your work and to reach readers that are really supportive and really enthusiastic and like a variety of fiction. So, um, what I found is that, and then, you know, getting into the word of mouth is that a lot of, because there's a lot of humor in my book, a lot of friends will recommend me to book clubs because they've just written something, some literary masterpiece that's really heavy. And then they they all need something a little lighter as the next book. So mm-hmm. I get a lot of those, uh, those um, second recommendations, but, but it's very, it, as a fiction writer, um, I don't know. I've just been more surprised that more people who manage the industry haven't sort of done the work to think about, I mean, they they think about it in terms of true genre fiction, romance novels, mystery novels, um, crime novels. There's a real audience and they know how to target that audience and speak to that audience. And there certainly are um, imprints that, reach out to people of color. not that the audience is just um, readers of color that's the other thing um, but a way to reach those readers who are very enthusiastic um, but i found a way you know i i, I went with a small press uh, i hired my own publicist i um have already plotted out what i wanted to do and who i wanted to reach and how i wanted to do it and created a budget for it and what I thought was reasonable, and called up basically. I called on friends, and, and um, you know, and just I was very fortunate also that so many people, you included, have been so generous and supportive of me getting my work out there. And, and I was really very focused too. And this is probably my having a business law and, and an entertainment law background um helped me was that i was very focused on what i'm doing is trying to build a pl- enough of a platform such that when my second book comes out i can build on that i can have already have readers people will see oh you know i can i can help lead people through the process rather than helping them imagine it
1: so can we go back to that i know a lot of my listeners are women of a certain age and um you know i I know women who have left the workforce mm-hmm. for years to raise families now finding themselves um kind of empty nesting and taking real inventory of their own lives, right, and finding that the skill sets that they might need to re-enter the workforce might be outdated, yes, um. And so what do they do? And so if you could, so if you could offer, I'm going to ask you two separate questions. One is if you could offer women in that particular situation, any bit of advice about, you know, how do you reengage with the world beyond carpool and taking care of your children? And then the second question would be, how do you, um, How do you allow yourself the permission, right, to follow a passion like you followed your passion in a moment of crisis, which I find just astounding um, and incredibly inspired. But how do you find that inspiration to perhaps, you know, you know, this is a terrible example. Like, I always wanted to be a rocket. <laughs> right. And I, I get that I will never be a rocket. Right. But if I wanted to find some way to reignite that passion to tap dance my way across some stage, like, what advice would you offer a woman um, in that particular situation? So if I had an hour, you don't even
0: have to listen to anybody else's, you know, day about or that you know whatever their problems are right what would you do what would you do with that hour you know what would you enjoy after you decompress um something that you enjoy doing like do you enjoy dance or for me it was oh i'm gonna go i'm gonna get on my computer or you know and write or um what running whatever it is i think that starting to take that hour Uh, or half hour, or whatever it is, to devote to something that you just always want to do, but you never have time to do it. That helps, because it just trains your brain to think about things other than your family. Because that does, like I said, you're training your brain to focus on something else, and then you may rediscover something that you could use in your imagination, you know, in terms of either a new... um something that like, could um, your new profession or just a new thing you introduce into your life Now, certainly for me writing is something like you, you have a concrete if i write i can publish a book so that's something that was much more easier for me to translate into a profession um then with following your passion so if there's something you're interested in or skills you need to rekindle I would say a class, but not anything over ambitious. Like for me, it was a class once a week and that propelled me. And over some time, I ended up having a book out of that.
1: Can Uh, I ask you just so the audience can relate to the time period in your life? So when you started that, when all of this was happening, the perfect storm in your uh, life, you were in your mid to late 40s. Is that correct?
0: uh, I was. No. Um, yes, I was probably my mid, mid forties, early, oh yeah, kind of, I don't guess early mid forties, mid forties. Yeah. I was, I don't think I was 45 yet, but, um, yeah, maybe I was 45.
1: So you were in your mid forties? 44, 44, 45. Yes. I guess the greater point of what I was trying to ask, which is that, like, You did like the Phoenix, you know, you really just remade your life at a point that most people couldn't imagine doing that. Right. Um, Yeah. And frankly, I mean, I had been writing.
0: Not with a serious focus towards getting getting anything published other than occasionally sending like a little bad short story to a contest Um, since I was single. I mean, I was just playing around because it was my just little release um, from working in law firms and, and big companies, but but not with any structure, not with any timetables, just playing around. And um, then I, I sort of got halfway through a first novel that just wasn't going anywhere um, when I, w- I was married, but bef- before I had my daughter. And it was in... Within, the time that I decided to pick that back up. Um, probably when I switched to the nonprofit, I thought I was going to pick it back up. But that was, it was, you know, that was sort of not with any, again, not with much seriousness um, until I joined that class at Sarah Lawrence. Once I um, really um, left the workplace.
1: But- so I have one final question mm-hmm. um, and I like to ask um, just random questions um, just to get it so the audience can get a different sense of you or, or or an interesting sense of you. So if you could pick one song to describe your life, what song would it be?
0: I was last last listening to Love No Limit by Mary J Blige, but that's not what I want to say because I'm I want to other than actually maybe that's it. Maybe that's the one I'll pick, but but I but focused on myself. Ah Focus
1: that's on myself. Nice, instead of the way she focuses on somebody else, on right? On someone else, because yeah, yeah that, you know, that's kismet. Yeah, that's
0: what I need. <laughs>
1: that part. Oh, I like that.
0: Yeah, well, it's been, a, it's been a long journey to get in that. It was probably focused a lot on taking care of family, but now really trying to take care of myself.
1: That's awesome. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Phoenix Tales, a show about women overcoming challenges and like the Phoenix to be reborn, their lives reimagined. Make sure to tune in to our next episode to hear another inspired story. I am Yuliana kim Grant. The show is edited by Podigy. Music is by Ryan Pruitt.
0: It's like a dream, so let me never wake up. I was so hung up on myself, just like a stick in the mud. A little time, a little patience, when I got tired of waiting, then I found that gem within me sticking out of the mud. And they gonna ask me why I do it, I'm going to say just because we don't be the best on earth, just like we be out in pass behind me like a book bag, hanging down a cobra focused on the future, not that coulda, shoulda, would.
1: If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave your comments on the platform where you get your podcasts. If you think you have a Phoenix Tale, please send us a note on our Instagram and Facebook pages. If you just want to stay connected to Phoenix Tales, once again, you can go on to our Instagram and Facebook pages to get all the latest updates.